go ahead and open your Bibles to 2 Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 8 through 12. Given the events of the day and other reasons, we're, we're jumping into 2 Timothy. Chapter 1. If you'll go ahead and follow as I read, beginning in verse 8. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel I was appointed a herald, an apostle, a teacher. And that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. And part of understanding the beauty of the gospel is understanding that it's a story about our inadequacy. You hear that? It's a story about your inadequacy. It's a story that begins with you and me not being good enough, right? It's a story, the gospel, a story that begins with us understanding and seeing our sin and our shame was taken and laid on Christ. Right? Where he would be cursed and crushed by God instead of you. Wow. <laughs> and so with Paul's mind on the cross, on the gospel, on our one Savior, Christ Jesus, look there, verse 8, he says, 2 Timothy chapter 1, don't be ashamed. And then beginning in verse 9, and ending in 12, he points to the power and beauty of the cross, right? Ending with verse 12, telling Timothy, and that is why I suffer these things, but I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. <laughs> wow. That's powerful, man. I think sometimes we get ashamed because we forget how the story started. It's all about, right? It was all about our shame. We couldn't see outside of ourselves and our sin until God came in. You remember? It wasn't until God came in and awakened our souls and brought us to life and let us see the light of Christ. That's how you got there, right? And now that we are saved, we've got to fix our eyes on him. As we do, the testimony about our Lord and what he accomplished in us becomes a powerful, is a powerful arrow pointing directly to the gospel of which we have no reason to be ashamed, but every reason instead to share. And so I decided to revisit this passage this morning because I want us to, uh, to revisit this particular truth 
This, this truth, this challenge to not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Right? And one thing, uh, I was talking to somebody else, and it's come up several times now, and, and so we're going to reintroduce a challenge to, to us here this morning. And, and I hope that, that it, it will help you embrace the challenge as you even see put on display as we get into baptisms later in the service. You're going to see put on display the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ as he has transformed individuals' lives. Right? And, and one of the things I say when I baptize somebody, you've been buried with Christ in baptism, and then we say what? And it's on the back of the t-shirts we have printed. We need to get those, bapt- we, somebody needs to remind me, we've got to get y'all t-shirts. All right, if you're getting baptized today, you've got a t-shirt coming, okay? As a reminder, and one of the reasons I love the t-shirts is because it says on the back of it, raised to walk in newness of life, Right? And that is a, it's a testimony to transformation, and you are transformed when you, you put your faith in Christ. And that's what happens. And so I want to revisit that truth and that challenge to say, man, we want to get the word out about this. Right? And here's the challenge. The challenge is the three-house challenge. You say, what on earth? Some of you haven't been here. It's been many years since we give this challenge, but here's the challenge. Right? In the next couple months... Right before the end of the year, I want each of us to begin to pray of who can you bring into your house, okay, uh, from other people's homes that are unbelievers and have dinner with them, have a time with them where you get into gospel conversation and pray for them, all right? So you can try to invite one of your neighbors over, and maybe that neighbor can be a co-worker. Or something like that, but be intentional about this. Is the house challenge all right? You say, Well, can I, can I maybe meet over? No, this is the three house challenge. Don't change the challenge, all right? All right, and the challenge is to invite someone over that's unchurched, that, that would be maybe in, in unchurched, de church. You know, some of that gets a little funny because some people consider and call themselves Christians, right? But, but you have a good sense that maybe they're not, right? And if it's in that category of I'm not sure. Right? Then, then you begin to get to know them and get into their life, invite them over for dinner and have a, enter into a gospel conversation. And then what things you do is you don't uh, let them leave until you pray with them. All right? And pray with their family. All right? And I'm not saying you have to pray with them. To, they have to accept right there. That's not what I said. Some of you giggle because I think you thought that's what I meant. But, but no, the, you pray with them. Right, because we go back to First Corinthians chapter fourteen at the verse twenty-five. I believe it talked about that that we want people to witness uh, that God is really among you, right? And this is one way we're going to invite them into our church, okay? And we're going to invite them into our homes, and as they witness us interacting, as as unbelievers witness believers interacting with one another, one of the things I have to say is, "Wow, God is really among you," right? Amen. And so we need to get back to that. Uh, and so this challenge is for all of us. And if you have questions about it, please, God, love it. If you're like, well, what about this and that? And, and what does the gospel conversation look like? Man, let's start talking about that and get that taken care of. Okay? Because we need to get, get out there. All right? Because we have uh, a challenge even here in our text. says, man, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the power of that saved us. Look there, verse 9. He saved us. It says that. 
What comes to your mind when you say, I've been saved? What comes to your mind when you say the words, I've been saved? Does it seem disconnected from your everyday trouble? I think for most of it does. It shouldn't. It should mean, man, I was spiraling into like this, this black abyss of God knows what without direction in my life. My heart was, was haunted by a vacancy that nothing else could satisfy but God saved me. Right? It's something like that. Right? He put a stop to the calamity in my life. I'm just free-falling into nothingness, free-falling into to garbage, into filth, free-falling into just a wreck. But God stopped the fall and saved me, grabbed hold of my life. Does I've been saved seem disconnected to your everyday trouble? Paul, Paul appeals to Timothy, don't be ashamed of this gospel and don't be ashamed of me for suffering for the gospel. Verse 8, instead be bold and suffer with us. Share in the suffering for this gospel, relying on its power, which is, of course, as it says there, the power of God. See what, Christians, see what a great salvation you have in Christ this morning. We must be renewed, awakened by this power that saves us, renewed by the salvation that we have in Christ. Right, when this salvation becomes humdrum, when we wake and we don't think, right, when we wake up in the morning and we don't think, oh my, Christ died for me. Right, when we can get through, through breakfast without thinking, oh my, I am saved. I'm saved. Right, when we can get through, you see where I'm going with this, we get through the day without even thinking of this great salvation that we've been given. I'm, I'm saying that I think we need to consider that we may not be in a very good place. Meaning we, we, we are in a place, in fact, I would argue, where the embers of the fire of God are barely burning, if they're there at all. And this morning I want to ask you, do you see the excitement? Christian, I'm asking you this morning, I'm asking you, because the challenge, you won't take the challenge to get this great salvation out in the open. You won't take the challenge to get the news out, Right? If, if you don't see the value of being able to say, he saved me. If you're in a place where you find that phrase routine, abstract, disconnected from the beat of your heart, a few things are possible. One, you've got some cultivating to do. You, you've got some fanning in the flame to do, as actually Paul charges Timothy with there in verse 6. And you can go by and revisit that and begin to work on that and talk to one another about that. The other thing that's possible is that you've not been saved. The author of Hebrews gives a stern warning to those who have neglected the revelation of God that is given to us in Christ Jesus. Right? Now, now there are some who would say they believe Oh, I believe in this revelation of Jesus Christ. I believe. But if by belief, that simply means that you've given some intellectual assent to these truths, that does not mean that you're saved. Right? For, for even the devil knows Jesus to be the Son of God. You see, true belief in this gospel is followed by obedience to its message. And the author of Hebrew warns us in chapter 2, verse 3, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? 
How, what it's saying is, how will we escape the judgment and the wrath of God if we neglect the great salvation He provides? And again, that, that ne- neglect doesn't, to neglect, you can believe that Jesus died. You can even believe that Jesus died for your sins, right? But if you don't put your faith into Christ and confess Him, right, and confess your sins to Him, and surrender your heart to him and make him Lord of your life, then you have not surrendered to the cross of Christ, right? And you have neglected the great salvation he provides. Don't be ashamed. That's the, the, back to the Christian. Don't be ashamed of this great salvation. Run to it. Cling to it. It is your only hope in life. We sing a song like that. It is your only hope in life and death. Right? And I want to say, as we cling to it, this great salvation, if we are Christian, we're saying, yeah, you're right, man, I'm hearing you, Pastor. I am clinging to it because I've been through the storms of life and I've learned to cling to this great salvation. I am clinging now. Let me share you with you how. I think of Maggie Dasso even now, how she and their family, boy, they've been clinging to this great salvation as they are going through quite a storm in their life. And I've seen many of you cling to this great salvation that you have been given in Christ. And it is a testimony and an encouragement to me. You keep clinging. Amen? Right? But now I want to tell us, I want us not to forget what, what Timothy, he got nervous. And I think we're all like a little bit like Timothy, that we get a little bit nervous because what, what we want to hear, what we need to hear, I think what we're hearing in this passage is, yeah, you can cling and you ought to cling, but, but you need to, to share. <laughs> you need to not just cling onto it and hide it and, and keep it for yourself, but you need to cling and share what you're clinging to, church. Let us share what we're clinging to. Yeah, let's run to it. But let's also talk about it. The more we understand his saving of us, the more confident and comfortable we are internally, even when everything externally is uncomfortable and unreliable. Did you hear that? The more confident and comfortable we are internally, when when we've surrendered our heart to Jesus Christ, there's where peace can reside and anxiety is dispelled. Right? Because our souls are at rest with God. Because as we put our faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, we can say with great confidence, He has saved me. Right? Even when I'm in a storm, I can be in the storm and say, He has saved me. This storm can't touch me. It can't sink me. That's why Jesus, He modeled it for us. He is the gospel. Right? We went through Mark. We talked about that. The gospel shows up in person. That person is Jesus. That's why Jesus, when he's with his disciples on the storm, and they're freaking out. Don't you see? Can you stop the storm? Jesus is doing what? He's sleeping. And the gospel is presented to us so that we too can sleep in our storms. I was dead in my trespasses and the uncircumcision of my flesh, but God made me alive in Christ and forgave me of all my trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligation that was against me and opposed to me, and he has taken all that away. How? It says there, by nailing it to the cross. Christ nailed to the tree instead of me. My debt paid my sins forgiven, he saved me. 
is a truth that should pierce its way through the darkness that is all around us. It's a truth that does pierce its way through the darkness that is all around us. And we can say, what then can anything or anyone do to me? For he saved me. Verse 9 says, this grace that was given to us in Christ was given before time began. Can you believe that? When it comes to our salvation, you need to know before you start feeling embarrassed or ashamed that God was not ashamed of you. That God had you on his mind before time began by his grace and his love. It was targeting you before time began. Did you hear that? Before time began, as you were being made, the, the Psalm tells us, 139, right, where it talks about how we are knit together while, and we have some pregnant uh, bellies in the room, okay? And God is in that God is knitting while you are still in your mother's womb. It says that God is knitting you together. And, and, and so there, it, but God is even saying, he's backing up away from that. He's saying before time began, he had his heart and mind set on you. He knew you. And in his love, he was targeting you. He had his mindset on saving you. Wow. Sit with that. Meditate on that, Christian. Verse 10 shows us the power of God that we rely on, the power of God to save. It shows us what it looks like to be saved, what was accomplished when he saved. Follow as I read. Look there, verse 10. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has abolished death. And has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Y'all, that is not an abstract concept that we conjure up in our minds to make us feel better and give us more hope in a broken society. No, here in verse 10, we are reminded that God really appeared. It says it there. Appearing. What Paul states to Timothy is a historical reality. Jesus came. He appeared first in the womb, conceived by the Holy Spirit, knit together in the womb of Mary, birth to his stepdad, Joseph. He appeared. He appeared. People saw him walking just like you and I walk around on this earth. People, Jesus was there walking around on this earth. He appeared and then he was baptized by John the Baptist, the God-man. When I say the God-man, I refer to Jesus, begins his ministry, how he appeared to his disciples. Underline that word appeared there in verse 10. Appearing of our Savior, appeared to his disciples. He appeared to the woman at the well. He appeared here Hear it, he appeared at his trial, he appeared at his crucifixion, he appeared at his death, burial, and resurrection, he appeared, and then he ascended, and then he appeared to be coronated and crowned by his Father in heaven, and now he is seated at the right hand of God, interceding, interceding for us, that is, praying for us, calling out to the Father on our behalf, Thank you, God. Even when I'm not praying, you're interceding for me. Even when I'm going off track, God, you are interceding on my behalf. There he is, once again, appearing before the Father in heaven on our behalf for us. From his conception as an infant child, 
to his coronation as the king of kings. Our salvation is wrapped up in the promise of him appearing and then the actual fulfillment of him appearing and to a fuller extent the promise that he will in fact appear again. Did you hear that? (laughs) He appeared and that is what it took at least in part for him to save. He had to appear. And next we see there in verse 10 still what was accomplished. He abolished death. My circuit, circle that. Set your heart on that. What does that mean for me? It's, again, the gospel isn't some abstract thing. And then you, you say, you go to church, you accept it, and you move on with your life. No, folks, it's just not. He abolished it. What does that mean? In dying for me and you, he put our death to death. He saved us from what plagued us. Our human predicament is death. And you can try to ignore death. People do. We do all the time. We can do our best to keep death as far from us as possible. But the only one who can give us hope as we face death is the one who abolished death. You see, our salvation is great because Jesus abolished death. And why is death the human predicament? Why do we die? Right? The Bible is clear. It's because of yeah, sin. Our sin. More specifically, what an incredibly successful plot of Satan to get us to stop talking about the very thing that really kills us. Right? Think of it. The reason why you're not happy, fill in the blank. Right? Because the devil, when you're trying to fill in the blank, the devil is whispering in the background. Hey, don't put sin in that blank. It's something else. The reason why you're not satisfied, fill in the blank. The reason why you're so restless, fill in the blank. The reason why you can't sleep, fill in the blank. The reason you don't want to get out of bed, fill in the blank. The reason your relationships are unhealthy, fill in the blank. The reason your marriage is struggling, fill in the blank. Your kids are misbehaving, fill in the blank. What a clever little plot Satan has to get us to stop talking about what really kills us. You see, we fill these blanks in with so many things, and most of the time, not one of them do we fill in with the term sin. You see, sin is the true true problem on humanity. And the Bible tells us that sin is the reason that death is our predicament. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. It's sad, right, that we would spend so much time not considering how sin is really what plagues us in this life. So many things, even as Christians, that we spend time grumbling and complaining about, that we, even as Christians, sometimes, this is why Paul's writing this to Christians, he's writing it to Timothy, he's calling him, right, there's so many things, even as Christians, that that we get sad about, as if, it's like as if we forgot that that those are the things that, that, that are what plagues us. It's sad that we spend so little time looking at the real problem that exists within us and waste lots of time trying to organize, hear this, waste lots of time trying to organize and clean up things on the outside 
we're real quick to throw those Pharisees right under the, under the bus. But one of the things that they're guilty of is just spending all the time trying to fix and make pretty what's on the outside of the cup. And Jesus is like, hey, y'all need to take care of what's on the inside. Or he calls them whitewashed tombs, right? That sort of thing. And that gives this idea, you know, you manicure and, and make pretty, you know, the little cemetery and, and the tomb. And it looks good and white and pretty on the outside. But what's inside those graves is a bunch of death and, and bones and lifelessness. Right. It's sad that we spend so little time looking at the real problem that exists within us and waste lots of time trying to organize and clean up things outside of us. You see, if the human problem is allowed to be defined external to our hearts, right? You hear this? If the human problem, your problem in your life is allowed to be defined always on as in terms of what is external to your heart, in terms of the external, if it's always, if all the problems in your life are always defined as out here, then you will not see what a great salvation that you have in Christ. You will not see right, what God wants to do in here. We will not see the significance of Jesus appearing to save and Jesus dying to kill death. We will not see the significance of of him forgiving us of sin in order to bring, as it says there, immortality and life. Immortality and life. His death and resurrection proves his power to do this, okay? To beat death. It proves his power. To give us eternal life so that we can face physical death in this life. You believe that? When I think about think about it. People are dying all the time, folks. Right? Some of us likely, right? A year from now, there might not be some of us that are here now that have, have, have gone to be with the Lord because of death. Right? Our lives are short. Our lives are but a vapor, the scripture says. But we have, because of Christ's resurrection, we have a guarantee of a glorious resurrection. So I can face death and go, it does not have the final say. Wow. Wow. <laughs> The great salvation that has been provided for us in Christ. Let's move on to this other point. It set us apart for a holy calling. We see the call that qualified us. Look at verse 9. Usually you get the call, right? Usually you're, you're making an application or whatever. Or you're, you're applying for something or you're trying out for something. And, and you get the call, right, because you're qualified. You hear, are you here? Are you following me? Right? But praise God, that's not how the salvation call works. How comforting that would be to Timothy, who's tempted to feel inadequate and ashamed, to be reminded that God who saved him also called him to a holy calling. A calling, church, please hear this, because we often make excuses for why we don't get to the work that God has called us to do. 
But hear this, that like the calling on Timothy's life was a calling that far surpassed his ability. And that is true of each and every one of us, right? The calling that God has put us to as Christian, it surpasses our ability. It's, it's a calling not according to your works, but according to God's own purpose. It says it there in the text, but according to God's purpose and grace. Look at verse 9, follows a read. He saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purposes and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. I love it. Before time began. See there in the text, God saved us and called us to a holy calling. Fix your eyes on there right now. What does Paul mean, holy calling? Consider this in the context here. Paul is calling Timothy to not be ashamed. You see, Timothy's tempted to be timid, certainly to be ashamed. And now Paul calls the calling on his life, or he calls the calling on our life as believers in Christ, as followers of Christ. He calls the calling on each one of our lives a holy calling. And so think now, so we can get our hearts around this, our minds around this. Think of the holiness of God. The purity, okay, I'm going to help us maybe just a little. The purity and beauty of God. Try to, in your mind's eye right now, meditate on that. As you think of the holiness of God, think of the great majestic power of God. Think of, here, let me help. Think of something untouchable, okay? As you're thinking of beauty and, and holy and, and otherness, right? Think of a light that shines so bright it's unapproachable. As we just start to meditate on these things, you start to think of something bold, right? That, that pushes out the darkness but isn't overcome by darkness. Holy calling. In part, Paul is telling Timothy and telling us that our calling is holy. I like that. That, that, that there's this holiness of God, right? There's this holy calling where it pushes out the darkness. It's... It's untouchable. And what I want to say is, Paul, I think, is highlighting how unreasonable it is for us to be ashamed of such a great calling. Right? This is a calling rooted, right? How, we, how is it that we would be ashamed of a calling that is rooted in the majestic, unmovable, unbending, holy character of God? How can you be ashamed of that? <laughs> Right? It is a calling that reveals and allows people access to holy God. That's our calling, to make known his gospel. So don't be ashamed. So the text is saying, and don't be afraid to be bold with this calling because God has put his holy stamp on it. That means as you embrace the calling, as, you, as we as a church embrace the calling, it's a calling that can't be thwarted. It can't be touched it can't be stopped. It can't be ruined. The darkness of this world can't overcome it. In fact, it gets beat back by it. It's unique. It's like nothing the world is offering you or can offer you. It's life-giving. And it's not based on anything you can bring to the table. That's the next phrase. It's not according to your works there in the text. 
but according to his purposes and grace. Again, you did not get the call of Christ. Christ is not calling out to you because you're qualified. You aren't here, right? If you find yourself in Christ this morning, you didn't get there because of your performance, but because of his performance on the cross. Amen? Because of his purpose and grace. You haven't been saved and then called with a holy calling because you are one of the wise and talented humans out there. No, we couldn't have worked hard enough, been good enough or moral enough for God to save us and call us. He had to qualify us, each and every one of us. Not one of us was righteous. Hear this. Just going through Romans 3. Think of it. Not one of us was righteous. Not one of you understood. Each one of you was worthless and no good. You deceived others with viper's venom. Your mouth was full of cursing and bitterness. There was no fear of God in the way you lived. Think of that. And it was in that state. Now it's time to smile. That's who you were. Right? And it was in that state that he called you. You say, and some of you, you're tempted, oh boy, boy, repent and humble yourself before the Lord. Because when I start reading that, you're tempted to, to buck up in arrogance and say, well, I, I never deceived anybody with viper's venom or I'm, I'm not no good or worthless. Don't say, oh my, the scripture's clear. Before holy God. And he qualified, or he called us and qualified us in that state. He qualifies us by his grace according to his purpose. And our calling to point people to our holy God through the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't a story about our works, our performance, our purity, our righteousness. Did you hear that, church? Praise God. So this ought to set us at ease. Yeah, when I'm saying give the three house challenger, let's start getting a little more bold about talking to our neighbors and people that God puts us all around about the God. We're praying. I'm praying for the missionaries that I just visited to be bold. And I'm thinking, goodness, Lord, I've got to get to action right here where it's easy. It's not easy in, in Central Asia. It's easy here. Right? And this calling on my life, it's not about our performance, our purity, our righteousness, right? So I'm not trying to talk to people about the Lord and I have to like, and put that in front of them. No, I'm putting Christ in front of him, like you will hear in the testimonies today. Praise him for this. The text makes clear that God is the source of our salvation, not human effort, not human intuition. Right? And the fact that God is the source of our salvation and the source of our calling ought to make us more secure in it. Because everything in my life, can you join me in this? Follow this statement. Everything in my life that is dependent on me or dependent on some other human is unreliable. Right? Even the stuff I'm good at, I mess up or fail, or do crooked, right? I would imagine, for some, if we are really honest, you've failed you more than anyone else has. Do you hear that? You failed you. 
And if you're not prepared to be that honest, all of us can at least admit that other things, people, and systems have failed you, have failed us. But our salvation, my salvation, right, our calling is dependent on the power of God, not on an unreliable system. And praise him for this. God doesn't fail. My God is dependable. The salvation we receive in Christ is reliable. We can turn away from God, but he has not turned away from us. In this calling for which he qualified us and set us apart, he has done so with the purpose that we would share. I want us to own this this morning and see what it can produce as you watch those who've been pursued by the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I was counting up in terms of the ones that will be baptized this morning, And how many were involved in their discipleship in sharing from this church? I mean, the ones I'm aware of, it's nine other individuals. And they're here, going to be here baptized, right? It's like, so this calling, right, that we would share. Don't you want to be part of that? I do. Well, then, like, we need to not be ashamed, right? We got to share his gospel. Let's look at verse 11 and 12 as we press in and move to close here. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald, apostle, a teacher, and that is why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Right here, verse 11, Paul is setting the pace for us. (laughs) Right? It's for this gospel that I was appointed a herald, an apostle, a teacher. That is why I suffer. And then he tells Timothy, from a prison cell, think of this. So he's setting the pace for us, y'all. Okay, like this is, this is like when we think about the gospel that we're like, man, I believe <laughs> this gospel. Woo! You know? Right? Amen? We're grabbing hold. Right? We're grabbing hold. But hear this. It's like think of what that means. That confession means. Right, he, Paul, the scripture's setting the pace for what that means. You know what I'm talking about? Setting the pace. Like, all right, you know what I'm talking about? Running, running a race, and you got to run with somebody that's trying to set the pace. Right, and you got to keep that pace. Paul's setting that pace for us. All right? So he's te- what's that pace? Well, look, he tells Timothy, get the context, from a prison cell. So Paul's in a prison cell. There is not much time left before he is executed. And in that suffering and in that pain, in the low places where people won't hear the gospel, don't want anything to do with the gospel, even there, he's saying in this this context, I'm not ashamed. And I'm going to keep preaching. And no one can stop me. I will not back down. I will not shrink back. I will keep sharing sharing the testimony about our Lord. I will keep heralding in the herald, the idea of a herald. Y'all know exactly what that is, okay? A herald is is an announcement at a game. By the way, you know those announcers at games, especially like big sporting, they can get paid some money, all right? So that's a very important role, right? And some do it better than others. We're, we're, we're to be herald the gospel, man, to get the word out, to be in this place where we will not shrink back, that we are not ashamed. 
And so Paul is setting the pace for Timothy. He's saying, look, until my very last breath, I will be outspoken. I will tell people the truth about how to live life and have it abundantly. Even if and when they mock, arrest, threaten, and kill me, I am not ashamed to tell them about this gospel. Because, he says, because why? Because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day. Right? You see, Paul's confidence in Christ, what does it do, man? Hear what it does for all of us. And I, I know I need to meditate on this truth. That's why I'm preaching it today, because I needed to hear this gospel. I needed to revisit this gospel in a way today. Of course, we need to revisit it all, always, but I just needed to get my heart and mind around it again. Okay? And because Paul's confidence in Christ, you know what it does, and you know what we all could use as we, we fix our eyes on Christ. What well, the confidence in Christ like this, hear it, it sends shame running. Okay? Confidence in the cross and what Christ did there, man, it sends shame running. And I want us all to hear that. Right? Don't you this morning, each and every one of you, surely if you've heard it, don't you want to send shame running in your life? I know I do. You know, and I know these people that are about to be baptized, boy, they're excited to sin. They were excited that they got to send shame running. And it means some sacrifices. It means some giving up of some things. But it was worth it because they know who they have believed in and they are persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to them until that day. Don't you want to send shame running in your life? And I want to encourage you this morning, church, all, each and every one of us, put your confidence in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this opportunity to witness now your gospel visibly di displayed to us as we have this awesome opportunity to move into these baptisms that you have prepared for us. We recognize you've prepared it. You've done it. You've accomplished it. And so we give you praise and thanks for the work that you are doing in the lives and heart of your people here. And Lord, be with them as they come up here to begin giving uh, their, their testimonies. Uh, Lord, I know they can be nervous when, when you've not stood in front, Lord. And so I just ask that you help them and give them that boldness, Lord, as they share in front of the church this morning that, boy, that, that they would have a a rest, a peace, Lord, that, that just helps still them and, and they would proclaim boldly the testimony that you have given them in Christ. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.